a scary girl. Hey everybody. Hi. I'm Stephanie. I'm Sarah. And this is Dead Time Stories. Episode 45. 45. Wow. Bam, 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 bam. Oh my goodness. The big old four five. Yeah. Once you, I, I have no idea what I was going to say. I was going to say, once you go 45, you never go back. Go back alive. I oh, God. <laughs> so this is it. This is the episode where we die. Oh, oh no. Is it like make out point? You <laughs> never make it out. I'll never make it out alive. That's why they call it make out point. That's why it's make out point. Yeah, episode 45. We're five away from the big five zero. Yeah. Which also means, again, we're going to Patreon, so please give us your money to help us keep doing the show. I also realized, so I've been, like, on Twitter and got added into, like, a Twitter paranormal podcasting group, and I realized a lot of people don't podcast weekly unless they're getting some, like, sponsorship or like paid and i'm like we are putting in so much work you guys to give you all this free content so like give us your money it really costs us money yes it does it does not just like we we pay soundcloud but like we we don't live where we have to like we have to drive we put in our time we have to do the editing you know research we gotta come together yeah record so we gotta edit and then we got to put it out there for you. No. Do, do you like it? You like it? So if you do, you know. Give us your money. Support us, which you'll have the opportunity to do in five weeks. Just five short episodes away. <laughs> yeah. Got them. Sorry about it. Yeah. Yeah, and then your episodes and descriptions might start being a little more on time. You know, it's, who knows? We'll see. <laughs> We're going to start withholding episodes. Oh, no. What? It's only you. Oh, no. What do I do? Eric. Hey, Eric, we need help. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I was like, because your voice does bleed into my mic. I, know, I was I'm like, laughing. I don't want to say all that stuff again. You don't want to start over? You're just going to go for it? Yeah. Okay. Because I take the time to edit, which is why you should give me your money. <laughs> so we just had an issue, but I'm going to make it sound great. Uh, so... Yeah, there was a little technical difficulty. <laughs> had to I call wasn't in Eric. being recorded, but now I am. We got her back. I'm back, back, back again. BB. Give us your money. Give us your money. Give us your money. But we also got a feature from Eric. So there's Eric again, guys. Eric yeah. also works for free. So he does. Give us your money. We don't intend to pay him, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we were making you know, enough money. If we were making a significant amount of money, sure, we give Eric a cut. Come but on, I guys. Mean, give us more we money. We have to like, cover our overhead first. Eric has a kid. Like, If we gosh. turn a profit... Like a genuine profit. Like I mean, we'll think. Of, we'll talk about it. Like gas is covered, <laughs> time is covered, <laughs> a little extra. Oh my god! All right, so enough of us pandering for your money. Let's pander for um, some attention. So we have improv night coming up this Saturday. I was like, Saturday. well, I was say we're still pandering for your money because we need to buy tickets. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we're not going to give you free tickets. But so, the money doesn't go to us. It, it goes to the theater that we work at all the time. I get some money for the second one. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, you get it for... I didn't, I didn't mention your show yet. 
<laughs> talking about improv night. We have improv night coming up uh, March 30th. At, Saturday. Um, yeah, it's this Saturday uh, coming up at Allen's Lane. And you can get tickets from the Facebook event, which will be in the episode description. Maybe not the day the episode comes out. <laughs> okay. Can can you tell multiple people have said something to me about it? <laughs> Who have said it? Who said anything? I was like, because I haven't gotten an email, and usually people are like. Um, Alice had said something to me about it a while back. Uh, Greg recently said something to me about it. Um, I don't think my siblings have, but they they would. I was like, I'm surprised your first one out of your mouth wasn't Gilmarie. <laughs> Gilmarie said Who something. Who will be on an upcoming episode? She will. So will. Christina, number one spot. Coming for that number one spot. Because, yeah, my show's coming up, and they'll be here that weekend. And and that's the that's next weekend. Um, Yes. Yes. Not next week, because next week is the last episode before my show, which is going to lead into what I'm talking about, but like we'll get into that. Um, yes. But this week is not that week. So on, a- on March 30th, we'll have Improv Night at Allen's Lane, uh, and on April 5th, you can come see me and my one-woman show, which is Bad Sex and Other Problematic Analogies at the Rotunda here in Philadelphia. And tickets for those will be in the episode description. You can find links for those maybe a day or two after the episode goes up. But, like, check again. I promise. It shows up. It's like magic. Okay? Your girl's busy. <laughs> I was like, that's that's Stephanie's thing. So that's why she's really defensive, you guys. Because I write the episode I was like, because she does the episode <laughs> descriptions. That's her job. <laughs> So yeah, stop getting on Stephanie's dick. You know, my show's coming. When the show's over, like, I'll have a little, I'll, you know. But my job is crazy. I work a 40-hour job. Fucking. Give us your money. Got this show coming <laughs> up. We do this show for you. Money. Here Give we us go. your money. Three minutes in. What's up? How many times have we asked for, Val, how many times have we asked for your money so far in this Count episode? It. Count them. <laughs> Just like we need to count our money. Count it. You will. Yes. <laughs> they know they will. They're already working on it right now. One, two, three, mm-hmm. four. Abortions. Um, we didn't talk about who's talking about what first or who's going where when. We're just going to wing it. Sarah, what are you talking about this week? Well, first. Y'all ready to talk about <sighs> Fuck you. We were doing so good. We Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Yes. Um, so this is the 45th episode, and I've been I've had a few people send me their personal ghost stories and I would love to get more personal ghost stories because I'd love to do an entire episode on that but I haven't gotten enough yet because you fuckers stopped emailing me um let's do over because if you're doing customer customer if you're doing customer listener, reviews <laughs> I want to die um and then I'll be a ghost guest on dead time stories um no if you're doing I want you to go second then if you're they're doing... short I only have two of them okay yeah, mine okay. are short. Yeah, because I haven't gotten enough. You fuckers, okay, you sorry, fuckers you need ahead. to you email me <laughs> again. My self worth. I know you fuckers have stories because all these other ghost podcasts get to do listener episodes, and I don't get to do a listener episode because you don't email me. We're not bitter. We just we love I'm you guys so much. Just give me your stories. Tell me your stories. Make something up. I don't care. You know the way that. Um... But anyway. So here's two stories from two wonderful <laughs> listeners. One of them... People who do love us. People who do love us. One of them has actually given us a listener story before, so she's already cranked out two. Can't you guys crank she's, out guys, one? get on the fucking ball. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into it. I hope we have listeners who are into this. 
No, we're losing all of them. The I second know. we started asking for their money. We started asking for money and berating them. <laughs> Give us your money, you fucktards. See, that's what I'm like. No, you pay pigs. You fucking pig. Give me your fucking money. Are we already into Fetish 5? <laughs> we jumped ahead. You go right ahead. All right. So the first one is from Kelly. Um, and she says, hey, dead time stories. There's like. 12 Z's. Get so it, bitch. Yeah, I like that. Uh, my name is Kelly. I'm 24 from Australia, and I'm currently oh, playing catch up with your podcast at the moment up to episode 21. Uh, and I'm fairly sure it's the only thing keeping me sane at work. So someone likes us berating Get it, them. Australia. Thanks, Kelly. Kelly likes it. <laughs> well, she hasn't gotten to the newer ones if she's catching up. That's true. Uh, well, she, she hasn't emailed heard us. We started insulting her and asking for money. That's true. We were so nice in the beginning. We should go back and we should do an episode where we re-listen to our first few episodes and see how we've changed. What, I think we've gotten meaner. What is the Australian currency and what's the conversion rate? <laughs> <laughs> is it just called we'll find an out. Australian dollar? It's, and how many American dollars is it? <laughs> 12 American dollars. Um, okay, so no, she we're says, we're, we're back to Kelly. Right America's, um, make mm. America suck again. Girl, make America gape again. Let's do this. <sighs> All right. Growing up, I didn't have too many crazy ghost experiences, but I did, however, make the somewhat questionable decision to give a Ouija board a crack with some friends, much to my mom's disapproval. Of course. Which, number one, I was like, yep, yeah, well, you know, you it's what you get for fucking with a Ouija board. And you knew better. So, uh, much to my mom's disapproval, she reluctantly turned a blind eye, and with that flimsy tick of approval, my friends and I were off to get a pizza for dinner and makeshift our Ouija board once we were done. So they made their own Ouija board. And she says, foolish decision, I know. Oh, God. Now I'm like, I'm actually genuinely terrified. With, I mean, she survived to tell the tale, so that's good. Uh, With everything in place, we headed down to the garage as there was no way my mom was letting it happen in the house. And after a few minutes, we made contact with a spirit, which had told us that it wanted one of my friend's souls as she had sinned. So with that, we decided that was probably enough of that. I mean, the thing about that ghost, though, is like... You know, let he who's without sin cast the first stone. Right. I'm like, so why this one? Because you're dead now. You're telling me when you were alive, you never sinned. Maybe... Also, like, why is it that one? What did that one friend do that, that was worse? Do. Maybe she murdered someone. Maybe she did. Damn. Did you find out what your friend did, did your friend Kelly? kill somebody? Did your friend kill someone? Did they kidnap Maybe someone? Again, what Kelly? else would be bad? What else would be like a bad sin? Sorry. So the ghost was like, you've sinned. Yeah, Kelly's anyways. Friend. Um, and then they were like, never mind, we're done. So mm-hmm. they were done with it after that. She said, anyway, and she also gave us an idea um, for a place called, I thought you guys might find some interesting stories about Port Arthur in Tasmania. There is a historic settlement site there, and it was also the site of a mass shooting. Damn. We went there on a school trip and went on a ghost tour, which, number one, what school is taking you on a ghost tour, and know, why didn't I go I'm to that move school? there, yeah, and let my kids go there. Go on a ghost kids. tour. I was listening to another podcast, and that's why we drink, and someone was talking about how they went on a school trip and went on a ghost tour. And I'm like, what the fuck? And what? Mary Angela was on a trip and they went to that cemetery. Why do all these school trips go on cool? They get to go to cool places. No, I did I feel that. Like I got like, totally I got ripped screwed. off. Yeah, not fair. Anyways, we went there on a school trip. Went on a ghost tour. <laughs> Lucky, which various different people reported having various different experiences and encounters. And I thought you may be interested in the history if you hadn't already known about it and might find some good stories. Yes, queen. Anyway, keep up the awesome work. Love the podcast, Kelly. 
What are you mumbling? I said, get it, Queen. Queensland is a place in Australia. It is. I see what you did there. So that's Kelly. Get it, Kelly. Thanks for emailing us. Thanks for your story. We love it. We'll have to look that out. Look up the uh, Port Arthur in Tasmania and uh, figure out all these different schools that take kids on ghost tours. Yeah. God. Mm. Maybe it's because I lived in Texas. We don't have a lot of history for ghosts. I'm I'm from North Carolina. They're full of, it's riddled with ghosts. It's just ri- they're North everywhere. Carolina is riddled with ghosts. You can't walk three yards without bumping into the, the a ghost. Ghosts. They're fucking everywhere. They're, they're every, like, you like y'all ready to talk to some ghosts because they're all around. <laughs> you can't walk anywhere without tripping over a fucking ghost. Fucking in North Carolina, ghosts everywhere. You're like, oh god, can someone pick up this ghost, please? For real. Can I get a piece of glow tape on that ghost? Gross. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get some glow tape on them? Put a bell on them, <laughs> like a collar. We do it for our animals. Can we get it for our ghosts? Um, so that was Kelly's story. Thank you, Kelly. The next story is from Joe, which Joe sent us another story earlier on. Get it, Joe. So thank you, Joe. Is that the fake name they used then too? No. no I'm <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> You're rude. You're like, no, it was a different fake name last time. It was a different one. <laughs> um, so well, because sh- sometimes people, you know, they don't they want do. us to share their, they want a little bit of anonymity, which I get it because we're like a big deal. <laughs> Definitely a big deal. <laughs> Show us how big of a deal you are by giving us your money. Give us your money. Give us your money. Go ahead. So Joe says, I have another story with a personal encounter, and I thought y'all's feminist asses would like to hear it. Yes, bitch. I know. This was like, first off, great first yes. opening sentence, and you know we would love to hear it, so please hit me. So she says, this is the story of Mary, the ghost of an Irish immigrant at the Mississippi River Bottom, which is a bar in New Orleans. Mississippi River Bottom wasn't always a small bar. Back in the day, it was a brothel that serviced sailors. It sure did. That's why they called the Mississippi River Bottom. The Mississippi River Bottom had some semen. Yeah, well, yeah, and that's, yeah, that's what I was implying. It's a bottom. Like, that's the term for somebody who is on the receiving end. Who, what, what? Takes it in the bottom? Of. Of, of penetrative sex. Yeah, it's mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. bottom. It's the bottom. Sailors are known for it. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I'm saying it makes sense that it's called that. It does. Uh, so Mary was the sole survivor from her family. Everyone else died on the boat on their way from Ireland to America. Since she was alone and broke when she arrived in New Orleans, she turned to the oldest profession in the book, prostitution. She oh, didn't... Yeah. She didn't like servicing men, so when her boyfriend said that he would be able to get her out of that life and take care of her, she was overjoyed. She was like, great. I She's don't like, like wonderful. I'm done with Literally this. Literally, my job is the service industry, and I hate it. Like, some days, I'm like, if I see one more dick, I'm just going to lose it. And then the next guy walks in, and it's like, ugh, I need that $5. $5 is a lot of money back then. Say, I was just going to say that. I was like, that's a lot of money I was like, if then. you account for inflation. $5, but... Um, maybe she gave a really good BJ. Yeah, you know. Anyways, uh, he Andy was King can do one seventy five. Our King, one seventy five thousand. Uh huh. Yeah. So maybe you know, back in the day, he would have made five dollars. Five dollars. So okay. that's fair. Yeah. Right. Uh, he was a sailor himself, and since he was taking a highly dangerous voyage that was highly paid, he knew that once he got back to New Orleans, they could live the life that they wanted to. But he felt that he wouldn't be able to make. It with the thought of his Mary getting down and dirty with other guys, so Mary had to think of something else to do in order to make money while her man was away. She struck a deal with the madam. She would work the bar for a year while she waited for her man to get back. 
Mary loved bartending. She was good at it and used that position to help take care of the other girls. She was not afraid of putting her hands on men that she deemed as being too disrespectful towards the girls working there. However, the year came and went, and her love didn't return. She managed to work another year as a bartender, still waiting for him to come back. But again, that year ended, and the madam wanted Mary servicing the men, but not with liquor. Mary, completely disheartened by her man not coming home, and with the thought of being forced to return to a job that she hated, started looking for a way out. She found it with a rope and a branch from the tree out back. Oh, no. Unfortunately, she hung herself to rid herself of a life she couldn't find a way out of. But just because Mary was no longer living and working in the brothel doesn't mean that she left. So she still has to deal with seeing dicks all day. Poor Mary. Mary is still working the bar, known for slapping glasses out of men's mouths as they go to take a drink. Good for her. If she deemed them too disrespectful to the women around them. Awesome. She chips their teeth with their glass, which I find hilarious. She, I would love to like some guy just being an asshole, and he goes to take a drink, and you see the drink just like smack himself in the face, <laughs> and you hear that he's like, like oh, as it hits his tooth, right? <laughs> Fuck you! And you're like, yeah, Mary got it. Thanks, Mary. Got him, literally. Uh, she also still wants to help other women who need it. Women who go there and are crying and really sad and low will go to pay for their drinks and find more money in their pockets than when they had when they walked in. What the fuck? So you just got to go in there and cry and you make money? You turn a profit? let's get in there. You turn a profit? (laughs) All right, Mary. Don't know where you're getting that money, but all right. Mary gives them enough to tip. after she chips their teeth. (laughs) Right. She chips their teeth to distract them from taking their wallet. She takes their money, too. She's a big pocket. (laughs) Mary gives them enough to tip the bartender and pay for their drinks. She is so well known for taking care of women that the locals call her the patron saint of single women. While on a ghost tour that lets you visit her bar, have a drink there, and see the tree that is alive and well that Mary hung herself from, I believe that I saw her. My boyfriend and I were sitting at the bar and I saw a swirling white mist materialize in front of my eyes. I talked to my boyfriend about it later, and he didn't see anything while we were there. I like to think that it was Mary just letting me know that she was there. I hope y'all enjoyed it. Stay creepy, Joe. Damn, Joe. I know. I like that story a lot. She's just fucking slapping drinks out of men's hands. I want to go meet this lady. New Orleans. Yeah. New Orleans, which is also riddled with ghosts. Just riddled. Obviously. Can't even walk into a bar without bumping into one. Not one of them slapping a drink out of your fucking hand. Or chipping your tooth. And then robbing well, you. only if you're a <laughs> shitty dude. Only if you're a dude. <laughs> robbing you and giving your money to a girl that cried. <laughs> Here, honey. Go buy yourself something nice. Like another drink. Don't spend it all in one place. I know $3 isn't, doesn't get you as far as it did back in my day. But you know, I used to have to suck a dick for $3. For five, so... For five. I'm giving you over half of that. Seriously. (laughs) So, yeah, those are our listener stories. You guys, please send us more. I would love to be able to do like full episodes based on listener stories. And thank you to Kelly and Joe for sending us your stories. Stories. Love it. All right, Stephanie, what are you talking about this week? I am talking about the curious case of Elmer McCurdy. Are you familiar with Elmer McCurdy? It's no, you know what? No. Sometimes he's referred to as uh, the bandit who wouldn't give up. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you should have some kind of 
like so Elmer McCurdy was an American bank and train robber who was killed in a shootout with police after robbing a Katy train in Oklahoma in October of 1911 okay 9-11 he was dubbed the bandit who wouldn't give up I don't know if there's more to that. I was like, was he not a successful robber? Just supposedly, he he wasn't great. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he shouldn't have quit his day job. He was he was like the doctor death of <laughs> <laughs> train robbers. Um, and I, he was like, no, I know how to rob this train. Don't tell me how to rob this train. I got it. So um, he was born in Washington, Maine. Uh, and he was born to like a single mom who was 17 in 1880. Cool. So he was raised by his grandparents, right? And she was his sister in yep. quote fingers. Um, he never really knew who his biological father was. And he was unruly and rebellious as a teenager. He began drinking heavily. And that's a habit that he would continue throughout his life. Oh, big surprise. <laughs> Maybe that's why he couldn't rob a train right, is because he was wasted. So <laughs> he did all sorts of stuff. He worked as a miner. He worked as a plumber. But he was unable to hold down a job for extended periods of time because he was an alcoholic. Yep. And he eventually made his way to Kansas, where he worked as a plumber in Sherryville. Uh, McCurdy then moved to Iola, where in 1905 he was arrested for public intoxication. He then re- relocated to Webb City, Missouri. So like he moved all around the place. Okay. Um, he joined the army for a while, but he was uh, he was honorably discharged. So like he didn't get kicked out for being too drunk or anything. But he was uh, he left the army in 1910, um, November 7th. And on November 19th, so this is like 12 days later, less than two weeks, he was arrested with his friend for possessing burglary paraphernalia. So like chisels, hacksaws, funnels, oh my God. Um, nitroglycerin, gunpowder, <laughs> and money sacks. Okay. So I wonder like, what they were going to do with so this those. this is like two, right, less than two weeks after being kicked out of the or not kicked out, after leaving the army honorably discharged. The St. Joseph Gazette reported that during their arraignment, uh, McCurdy and his friend told the judge that the tools were not intended for burglary purposes, but were tools that they needed to work on a foot-operated machine gun that they were inventing. Oh, is that so? You need the money bags for that? In January 1911, a jury found McCurdy not guilty. Stop. <laughs> After his release from county jail, McCurdy's short-lived career as a bank and train robber began. His robberies were generally bungled affairs due to McCurdy's ineptitude. (laughs) (laughs) He decided to incorporate his training with nitroglycerin into his robberies. This often caused problems as he was overzealous and failed to correctly determine the proper amount to use. By March 1911, McCurdy had again relocated to Oklahoma. He and three other men decided to rob the Iron Mountain, Missouri Pacific train after McCurdy heard that one of the cars contained a safe with $4,000, which, remember, that's a lot, that's of, a lot of money back then. <laughs> Somebody gave a lot of no, BJs. A lot of head for that money. They successfully stopped the train and located the safe. McCurdy then put nitroglycerin on the safe's door to bust it open, but he used too much. <laughs> So the safe was destroyed in the blast, and so it was the majority the of the money. <laughs> Oops. McCurdy and his partners managed to get a net of $450. Out of $4,000? <laughs> in silver coins. 
most of which uh, were melted and fused to the safe's frame. <laughs> so, like, all the paper money had burned up. There was, like, some coins, and some of them were melted. So, they, like, that's how little money they were able to, like, recover <laughs> from the safe. I'm really glad you hadn't heard of this guy. No, but I really want to watch, like, a comedic, episodic, like, TV show about his misadventures. Because I just is is too good to be so true. The th- most famous thing about him is not even while he was alive. The oh, most famous what thing is what happened after he died. Okay, tell me. So right, I'm still going. Right, I was like, there's still more about him though. But like, I wanted you to know who this person was. This bandit who wouldn't give up. Okay, <laughs> the bandit who couldn't. The little so, bandit who couldn't. Um, in September of 1911, McCurdy and two other men robbed the Citizens Bank in uh, Chattan in. Chattanooga, I don't know. Chattanooga? No, it's not Chattanooga. No. It's uh, Chautauqua in Kansas. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to need I'm that sorry. one more time. <laughs> um, Chautauqua? Chautauqua? I don't know. C-H-A-U-T-A-U-Q-U-A in Kansas. Um, I'm sure it's a Native American name, and I apologize. You're, you know, you guys deserve... A lot of respect. Um, I don't know why I left. After spending two <laughs> hours breaking through the bank wall hammer uh, wall with a hammer, McCurdy placed a nitroglycerin charge around the door of the Has bank. Has he learned nothing? Vault. The blast blew through the door of the bank, destroying the interior, but did not damage the safe inside the vault. All right. McCurdy then tried to blow the safe door no, open. No, 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 don't. But the charge failed to ignite. <laughs> After the lookout man got scared and ran off, McCurdy and his accomplices stole $150 in coins. Oh, my gosh. That were in a tray outside the safe. They didn't need to. And fled. Golly. Later that night, the men hopped a train, which took them to Kansas, to the Kansas border. They split up, and McCurdy made his way to a ranch of a friend, Charlie Rivard, near Bartlesville, Oklahoma. He stayed in a hay shed on the property for the next few weeks and drank very heavily. Of course. McCurdy's final robbery took place on October 4th, 1911, near Okessa, Oklahoma. Um, McCurdy and two accomplices planned to rob a Katy train after hearing that it contained $400,000 in cash that was intended as royalty payment to the, uh, to the Osage Nation. So he's going to walk away with like 40 bucks. He's, well, you did hear me say it's his last robbery. Yeah. So, so he he's not going to walk away. <laughs> right. However, McCurdy and the men mistakenly stopped a passenger train instead. The men were able to steal only $46. I was so right. <laughs> from the mail clerk. <laughs> uh, two Jimmy Johns of whiskey, an automatic revolver, a coat, and the train conductor's watch. I thought you were just going to say, and the train and conductor. The train conductor. <laughs> A newspaper account of the robbery later called it one of the smallest in the history of train robberies. <laughs> McCurdy was disappointed by the haul and returned to Reverard's ranch on October 6th, the day before my birthday, where he began drinking the Demi Johns of whiskey he stole. By this time, he was also ill with tuberculosis, which he developed when he was working in the mines. A, wild ca- a mild case of pneumonia and trichinosis. So he had like three things going on. He stayed up drinking with some of the ranch hands before going to sleep in the hayloft the following morning. Unbeknownst, which is one of my favorite words, unbeknownst to McCurdy, he'd been implicated in the robbery and a $2,000 reward for his capture had been issued. And Dick Wallace (laughs) tracked McCurdy to the hay shed using bloodhounds. Yes, Dick Wallace. (laughs) 
They surrounded the hay shed and waited for daylight. In an interview featured in the October 8th, 1911 edition of the Daily Examiner, Sheriff Bob Fenton recalled, It began just about 7 o'clock. Perfect. We were standing around waiting for him to come out when the first shot was fired at me. It missed me, and he then turned his attention to my brother, Stringer Fenton. He shot three times at Stringer, and when my brother got undercover, he turned his attention to Dick Wallace. (laughs) He kept shooting at all of us for about an hour. We fired back every time we could. We do not know who killed him. We found one of the jugs of whiskey, which was taken from the train. It was about empty. He was pretty drunk when he rode up to the ranch last night. (laughs) McCurdy was killed by a single gunshot wound to the chest, which he sustained while lying down. (laughs) But no one is sure who killed him. No one is sure which bullet got him. God. God was like, we're done here. So that's all the stuff that happened while he was alive. All right. What happened after he died? And supposedly... This isn't in this article, but supposedly while he was dying, he said, you just killed the bandit who wouldn't give up. Okay. Glad to know he made sure to dub himself. Yes. Before he died. McCurdy's body was subsequently taken to the Johnson Funeral Home in Pahuska, Oklahoma, where it was unclaimed. Joseph L. Johnson, the owner and undertaker, embalmed the body with an arsenic-based preservative, which was typically used in embalming in that area to preserve a body for a long period of time when no next of kin was known. He then shaved the face, dressed it in a suit, and stored it in the back of his funeral home. Um, As McCurdy lay unclaimed, Johnson refused to bury or release the body until he was paid for his services. Johnson then decided to exhibit McCurdy to make money. Um, so at that time, viewing bodies was very popular. Well, so it was, this is stuff that I know. Yes. So it embalming had just started and it was really like you showed off how good you were at embalming yep. so that people would hire you to embalm their kin yes. because people wanted to be able to look at them. And in the weather in the South, a body does not last long. Yes. But like embalming is not Nowadays, it's not necessary. It wasn't necessary back then either. It was, I'm, I'm it was against like, it. Right. It was more was like, like I'm not a fan showing of... off that you could do it. Right. Yes. Um. So it was a big deal. But also another part of that was because he was the bandit who wouldn't quit. So there was like this kind of like sideshowy like pull to this person. Come look at this okay. stupid man. Right. So he dressed the corpse in street clothes, placed a rifle in his hand, <laughs> and stood it up in the corner of the funeral home for a nickel. Johnson allowed visitors to see the bandit who wouldn't give up. (laughs) At various times, McCurdy was also called the mystery man of many aliases, the Oklahoma outlaw, and the embalmed bandit. Okay. The bandit became a popular attraction at the funeral home and attracted the attention of carnival promoters. Johnson received numerous offers to sell McCurdy's mummified body, but he refused. Uh, on October 6th, 1916, so this was like five years later, okay, he'd been okay. charging people a nickel to come look at this body, a man calling himself Aver contacted Johnson, claiming to be Elmer McCurdy's long-lost brother from California. Aver had already contacted the Osage County, Oklahoma sheriff and the local attorney to get permission to take custody of the body and ship it to San Francisco for a proper burial. The following day, Aver arrived at the funeral home with another man calling himself Wayne, who also claimed to be McCurdy's brother. Johnson released the body to the men and put it on a train, ostensibly to San Francisco. 
It was instead shipped to Arkansas City, Kansas. The men who claimed to be McCurdy's long-lost brothers were, in fact, James and Charles Patterson. <laughs> James Patterson was the owner of the Great Patterson Carnival Shows. Which oh, is my God. Carnival. They just robbed that body. <laughs> they are just like, they are just like, this yeah. is our dead brother, and we want to take him home and bury him. And really, they also just wanted to get They were money. like, this guy's been making five, like a nickel, nickel for the past five years. Fist. If I had a nickel for every time time I showed somebody a dead body, I'd be that fucking funeral owner and I'd be rolling in fucking nickels. Nickels, nickels everywhere. <laughs> so after learning from his brother Charles about the popular embalmed bandit exhibit, the two concocted the, scre- the scheme to take possession of the body in order to feature it in Patterson's carnival. All right. So he's been body napped. Right. McCurdy's corpse would be featured in Patterson's traveling carnival as the outlaw who would never be captured alive. Which he wasn't. He was he was killed. <laughs> Till 1922 when Patterson sold his operation to Lewis Sonny. Lewis Sonny used McCurdy's corpse in the traveling Museum of Crime show, which Ooh. featured wax replicas of famous outlaws, such Except as Bill, for that one. Right. Such as Bill Doolin and Jesse James. In 1928, the corpse was part of the official sideshow that accompanied the Trans-American Foot Race. In 1933, it was acquired for a time by director Dwayne Esper to promote his his exploitation film, Narcotic. The corpse was placed in the lobby of theaters as a dead dope fiend whom Esper claimed had killed himself while surrounded by police after he had robbed a drugstore to support his habit. By the time Esper acquired McCurdy's body, it had become mummified. Mm -hmm. The skin had become hard and shriveled, causing the body to shrink to the size of a child's body. Esper claimed that the skin's deterioration was proof of the supposed dope fiend's drug overdose. (laughs) After Louis Sonny died in 1949, the corpse was placed in storage in a Los Angeles warehouse. In 1964, Sonny's son Dan lent the corpse to filmmaker David F. Friedman, it eventually made a brief appearance in Friedman's 1967 film, She Freak. <laughs> in 1968, Dan Sonny sold the body along with other wax figures for $10,000 to Spoonie Sign, the owner of the Hollywood Wax Museum. Sign had uh, bought the figures of two Canadian men who exhibited them at the show at Mount Rushmore. While being exhibited there, the corpse, they remember he was sold as a wax figure. Yeah, so it was like at this point they was, think he's a dummy. They don't think he's real, right. While being exhibited there, the corpse sustained some damage in a windstorm. The tips of his ears, along with fingers and toes, were blown off. The men eventually returned McCurdy back to Singh, who decided that the corpse looked too gruesome and not lifelike enough for the exhibit. (laughs) Singh then sold it to Ed Learsh, part owner of The Pike, which is an amusement zone in Long Beach, California. By 1976, McCurdy's corpse was hanging in the Laugh in the Dark Funhouse exhibition <gasps> at the Pike. I don't like that. It was like if you're walking through a funhouse, you could bump into him. Yes. I don't like that at all. <laughs> On December 8th, 1976, the production crew of the television show The Six Million Dollar Man were filming scenes for the Carnival of Spies episode at the Pike. During the shoot, a prop man moved what he thought was a wax mannequin that was hanging from the gallows. Oh, and it was hanging. When the mannequin's arm broke off, (laughs) a human bone and muscle tissue were visible. That's when somebody finally realized it was a real body. He was like, oops. Oh, no. (laughs) Right. I feel like I would have thrown it We're standing in a room with With a a dead dead guy. 
Police were called and the mummified corpse was taken to the Los Angeles uh, coroner's office. On December 9th, Dr. Joseph Choi conducted an autopsy and determined that the body was that of a human male who had died of a gunshot wound to the chest. The body was completely petrified, covered in wax, and had been covered in layers of phosphorus paint. God. It weighed approximately 50 pounds and was 63 inches in height. Wow. So that's not that's crazy tall at no, all. No, it totally. I wonder if the. I guess the bones. Maybe he wasn't a tall man. Uh, some hair was still visible on the sides and back of the head, while the ears, big toes, and fingers were missing. The examination also revealed incisions from his original autopsy and embalming. Tests conducted on the tissue showed the presence of arsenic, which was a component of embalming fluids until the late 20s. Tests also revealed tuberculosis in the lungs, which McCurdy had developed while working in a minor, uh, while working as a minor, bunions and scars that McCurdy was documented to have had. <laughs> while the bullet that caused the fatal wound was presumably removed during the original autopsy, the bullet jacket was found. It was determined to be a gas check, which was first used in 1905 until 1940. These clues helped investigators pinpoint the era in which the man was killed. Further clues to the man's identity were found when the mandible was removed for dental analysis. Inside the mouth was a 1924 penny and ticket stubs to the 140 West Pike Sideshow and Louis Sonny's Museum of Crime. <laughs> Investigators contacted Dan Sonny, who confirmed that the body was Elmer McCurdy. Forensic anthropologist Dr. Clyde Snow was then called in to help make a positive identification. Dr. Snow took radiographs of the skull and placed them over a photo of McCurdy taken at the time of his death in a process called superimposition. Snow was able to determine that the skull was that of Elmer McCurdy. Wow. By December 11th, the story of McCurdy's journey had been featured in newspapers and on television and radio. Several funeral homes called the coroner's office offering to bury McCurdy free of charge. <laughs> but officials decided to wait and see if any living relatives would come forward to claim the body. Fred Olds, who represented the Indian Territory Posse of Oklahoma Westerners, eventually convinced Dr. Thomas Noguchi, then the chief of medical examiner and coroner for the county of Los Angeles, to allow him to bury the body in Oklahoma. After further testing to ensure proper identification, Olds was allowed to take custody of the body. On April 22, 1977, a funeral procession was conducted to transport McCurdy to the Boot Hill section of the Summit View Cemetery in Guthrie, Oklahoma. A graveside service attended by approximately 300 people wow. was conducted, after which McCurdy was buried next to another outlaw, Bill Doolin. To ensure that McCurdy's body would not be stolen, two feet of concrete was poured over the casket. Yeah, someone would definitely steal that body again if they had the chance. There's so much history. And repeat the cycle. Get it all over again. Whew, and so that's the story of the bandit who wouldn't give up. The bandit who made more money dead than he did alive. He got a mouthful of nickels. He got a mouthful of, and he didn't even have to suck a dick for him. He didn't. They just put the they nickel put straight in up his in mouth. his mouth. There you go. So speaking of putting it in the mouth, do you have a fetish vibe this week? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so this week we will not be putting anything in our but, mouth or um, any other orifices. fixation is when you're obsessed with just having things and you, you know. Mm -hmm. I would say I have an oil fixation. I yeah, like suck no my problem. thumb still sometimes. It's a whole thing. I, I smoke on the a inside. lot. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, I talk a lot. My mouth is pretty much always active. Do with that what you will. <laughs> Please. <laughs> and email us about what you think Stephanie's doing with her mouth. 
So, reminder, we have two things coming up. We have Improv Night coming up. They're both here in Philadelphia. Improv Night at Allen's Lane Theater on March 30th. And my show, Bad Sex and Other Problematic Analogies, is April 5th. Both here in Philly. Look in the description for the links to the tickets. The description will be posted whenever it's posted. Just give it a day or two. If it's not up, like, immediately, like, give it a day or two. Like, check back on Friday. Like, it'll be there. I promise. Okay. Okay. I just have a, a crazy job and a crazy life, and that's what happens. Anyway, um, but also I'd be able to take more time for the show if I was if making you guys money. Paid us so, um, and also leave us a review. That's... Look out for our Patreon coming out in five weeks. If you want to really help the show right now, you can do that by rating and leaving a review on iTunes and Facebook, preferably five stars. And then if you want a sticker, you take a screenshot and you send that to our email, which is deadtimestories, all one word, with a Z, at gmail.com. And we will send those stickers to you when we get around to it. We will. And currently they're still free. So, like, all you have to do is do a review. But in five weeks, that could all change. That could all change. Who knows? Um Anyway, we really love you guys. We appreciate your emails. And follow us on Instagram, Deadtime Stories with a Z, all one word. We're on Facebook. Yeah, we're real people. Yep. And we have feelings. And we, we want do. you to care about what we do. Which is why we berate you so hard. Right. Get ready. Why for, do you make us do this to you? Couple weeks. You're going to hear a lot of this. This is going to be a lot. So um, <sighs> tune in next week for more of the same. Yeah, get ready for it. It's going to be great. I'm Zara. I'm Stephanie. And this has been Dead Time Stories. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Curtison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. 